0: Um, it's great to be with you guys again. I went to a conference last week um, and I was really encouraged by that. We heard um, it was really cool to see how Michael, it was really cool to see how the good news of Jesus was going out to um, places far away and how people were on fire about spreading the good news um, of Jesus' mission. And so that was really encouraging. Maybe you saw a video on Instagram or Snapchat of me. Um, that was super cool. And you know what was extra cool? I wasn't here on Friday. But I actually listened to the talk because Restore puts all their talks on our podcast, on Spotify, on Apple, on your favorite podcast app. Um, Shout out to Christian who heads that up and does that, which is pretty awesome. Um, And so I had a listen to that um, and I saw and I learned about how Isaac taught us about what it means to be born again and how the good news of Jesus changes us. But I also know how many times he told you guys to be quiet. So I hope we can do a bit better than that today. Okay um this time we're looking at the book of john and today we're going to continue in chapter 3 starting from verse 22 and so remember there's a bit of a distinction i want you guys to make that um the, the gospel of john is written by john the apostle or the disciple so he's one of the 12 but today we're going to be talking about a different john john the baptist okay so there's two johns john the baptist was a relative relative of jesus And he spent some time wandering around the desert telling people um, that someone was coming who was going to change the world. And so we're going to pick up our story today where Jesus is also beginning his ministry and he's beginning to baptise people. And John's still baptising people, but there's a bit of an argument and there's a bit of a popularity contest that goes on, okay? So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to start in our Bible reading, okay? Dear God, thank you so much uh, that we can be here tonight. I pray that as we open up your word, uh, that you would open our minds and our hearts um, to see who you are. I just ask that you would um, work in us and reveal yourself to us um, so that we might love you more as a result. Amen. So uh, John chapter 3, verse 22. After this, so after last week we had Nicodemus um, ask Jesus some questions. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptised. Now, John also was baptising at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptised. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, that means teacher, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan The one who you testified about, well, he is baptising and everyone's going to him. And so we have our passage now and we have this argument that happens about ceremonial washing. And so we don't know exactly what this argument is. It might be about baptism. It might be something to do with the Jews and their purification. But we know that some of John's disciples, he has a crew, they spot Jesus' crowd And Jesus probably had a bit of a bigger crowd at this point, we can see. And so John's disciples, they were probably pretty passionate guys, pretty devoted guys. And so they come up to Jesus and they say, uh, they come up to John, sorry. And they say, hey, that guy you were telling us about, that guy you were testifying about, um, well, some of his followers have started baptizing and everyone's leaving us and going over to him. And so there's a bit of a popularity contest here. And so if you didn't catch that, John's group are mad that Jesus' group have more followers than him. Any of you hardcore Instagrammers can relate to that, right? And now what do you think John would do next? Does he go, you're right, we've got to go over there. We've got to take these guys down. We have to be the best baptizers in town. No. Let's read his answer in verse 27. To this John replied, A man can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. And so, basically, what John's saying is that he has been given a job from God, but he's not the Messiah. And he's never claimed to be the Messiah, but he was sent to prepare the way. And so, then he uses this wedding kind of illustration that we'll read. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, verse 29. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater, I must become less. Okay, so for us today, the bridegroom is the same as the groom at a wedding. Okay, so the man marrying the woman. And the friend who attends to the bridegroom, we would call that today the best man at a wedding. But what's different about this is that in Jewish times, the br- the what's different about this is that in Jewish times, the best man did all the organising at the wedding. Okay, so he did all the details. He was a very important person. He got the cake and the flowers, and he organised the rings and the minister and the band, maybe all these things. Um, but most importantly, in these Jewish times, the me- best man was the one who brought the bride to the groom when everything was wet- ready. And so if you've ever been to a wedding, you know that moment when the bride walks down the aisle very beautifully um, and she walks down and there's the bridesmaids on this side and the groomsmen on that side and the um, groom is there and then they hold hands and then they start saying their vows or um, saying what the minister says. And it's exciting. It's a happy moment. Uh, It's entirely just about those two people, the bride and the groom. And so the best man at a wedding, he's never grumpy about that. He's always happy for his friend, for his mate. He's excited about that. He doesn't make the wedding about him. Like, can you imagine if during the wedding, the bride and the groom facing each other, holding hands, you know, confessing their love to each other, if the best man takes the microphone from, say, the minister and he walks across and he goes, you know, guys, this is a great day and all. It's a really beautiful moment. But let me tell you about the week I had. That just wouldn't happen, right? Because the wedding's about the bride and groom, not the best man. And so what John the Baptist is saying in this passage today is that he is the best man who has been waiting and listening for Jesus, the groom. And now Jesus is finally here. So John doesn't have to make everything about him, but he is joyful that Jesus is here and he's come to gather his people who are the bride. And so John has been getting everything ready and making preparations for the wedding by baptising people and by beginning his ministry. And so John doesn't suddenly jump on stage and go, look at me, look at what I've done. I've done all these things for you, Jesus. No, he says that joy is mine and now it's Jesus. He's not whiny, he's not complaining, he is filled with absolute joy. And then he said this really profound statement, I don't know if you catched it, um, He must become greater, I must become less. So Jesus must become greater, I must become less. And I want to draw your attention to the word must. Because this isn't like maybe Jesus should become greater or maybe John should just step back a little bit. But no, Jesus must become greater. It's part of God's plan that Jesus would increase and become greater and be known throughout the world. He must become greater, I must become less. And do you know that these are the last words we hear from John the Baptist in this gospel? Because shortly after, he will be imprisoned and killed. And so I wonder about us here tonight. Do you have the same attitude as John the Baptist? Is his words that Jesus must become greater and I must become less the motto of your heart? Because I think for most of us, it's the other way around. It's I must become greater and Jesus must become less. So let me ask you, are you trying to make yourself great and Jesus less? Are you making Jesus less by how do you speak to people, saying things you know you shouldn't? Are you making Jesus less by doing whatever you can to be the centre of attention? Are you making Jesus less by wanting people to know the impact that you've made and the hard things that you've done and how you've made a difference? Are you making Jesus less or are you making him greater? Are you making him greater by being humble? Are you making Jesus greater by giving him the glory when you succeed? Are you making Jesus greater by how you speak about him, by not complaining when you serve? As one preacher once put it, are you willing to be faithful and then forgotten? Because ultimately, guys, Jesus doesn't need you. His kingdom will grow without you. People will come to know him without you. And I say this not to discourage us, but to challenge you. Because a life making yourself great will be tiring because you're just not that awesome at times. Because you'll keep having to put on this facade that you've got it together. You've got everything under control. You're this different person. You never do anything wrong. But when we make Jesus great, it gives us joy. What did John say in our passage? That joy is mine and it's now complete. And so doing mission and serving and loving and making Jesus greater will give you joy. It's the third part of our mission statement here. Souls saved, lives transformed, joy restored. And you ask any senior leader here, We have so much joy coming here and serving you guys. We love you so much. We're praying for you so much. And it gives us great joy when you wrestle with things, when you ask questions, when you come to know Jesus more. And so now we come to our next verse, verse 31. And this is now John the writer of the gospel, not John the Baptist speaking. And he's going to tell us a bit more about why Jesus should be made greater. Verse 31. The one who comes from above, Jesus, is above all. The one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. And so we see here that Jesus is above every human being, no matter their position, no matter their power. He is more important than anyone or anything on earth because he's from heaven like no one else. None of us here can claim that we're from heaven. A few people have tried but Jesus can. No one else can claim knowledge of how the world began like Jesus can. Jesus is above all people. And this is awesome in a couple of directions because it means on the one hand, Jesus is absolutely more important, has more authority and is more valuable than anyone that we can ever think is important or look up to. And so it's time for some true confessions here. I can't believe I'm saying this on stage. When I was younger... I was a crazy One Direction fan, okay? I mean, I thought they, wow, I can't believe I've started something. I thought they were the best people in the world. I had this gigantic poster that was huge across my whole bedroom window, wall, not window. Um, And now my parents didn't want me to go to the concert, so they bought me um, the concert on DVD And I had a One Direction party and I invited all my friends over and I'd printed out these arrows that were all going in One Direction to where the party was. And even at this party, I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this, we made One Direction origami dolls of all the people in the um, band. It wasn't very much addiction. And I just thought, shh. I just thought they were the best people ever. They were so cool to me. They just had it all together. They were so important to me at that point than anyone else in my life. Now, maybe you have someone who you look up to like that. It's probably not One Direction, but maybe it's another celebrity. Maybe it's a musician. Maybe it's a political leader or an activist or someone who's changed the world. But this passage shows us, guys, that Jesus is above all of those people. No matter the difference they've made, no matter how cool they are, no matter what power they have, Jesus is above them all. And why is that? Because he's eternal. He has come from heaven. He has knowledge of things that no human on this earth could ever have. And so that's one reason why he must become greater and we must become less. But Jesus being above all people is also encouraging in another way. Because Ephesians 1 tells us that Jesus is above every ruler and authority and power, not only right now, but also into the future. And so that means that he's above every evil and horrible government, above every dictator, above every parent who doesn't treat you right, above every friend who's ever hurt you. He's above every person and sees that the way that sometimes people in this world misuse their power. And so why can we know that he's above these people? Well, it tells us in verse 32, 34, and 35. First of all, because he testifies to what he has seen and heard. Secondly, because the one whom God has sent, Jesus, speaks the words of God. And thirdly, because the Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. And so these are just a couple of reasons about why Jesus must be made greater. Because he speaks the words of God. God has given him every authority. He is above all earthly powers. And so no celebrity or no sports player or government compares to the power and authority and beauty and importance of Jesus Christ. And more than that, Jesus has also been given the important authority to give eternal life and to judge. And so to people here tonight, if you don't know Jesus in a personal way, if you haven't accepted him, then we're so glad you're here because we are praying for you. We pray for you every week that ah, God would keep working in you and that you might listen and consider the things and that one day you might accept Jesus for the first time. But at the end of the day, you have a choice. You can believe Jesus or you can turn your back on him, as it tells us in verse 36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. And so the wrath of God doesn't mean that God is just angry all the time. It means that he will not let injustice and sin continue unpunished, because we deserve wrath. We deserve judgment. We can bring nothing to God but our sinfulness and our brokenness. And Romans 1 tells us that deep down inside each of us, there's something that knows that there's more to just this life. There's more than just the physical and what we see, that there is a God, that he cares and that he loves us. And the beauty of God and what we see tonight and throughout the Bible is that being saved is not dependent on what I do or how I live. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God's love cost him. He gave a child for you, his only Son, out of his love for anyone who believes in him. And if you believe, then you receive eternal life. And let's just finish with thinking about that for a second. Eternity. I know you guys, some of you here are really deep thinkers and you think about these things a lot. You live, what, 80, 90 years if you're lucky and then you're no more on this earth. But if you trust in Jesus, then your eternal life can start right now. You can be born again and God gives you this gift that will go on forever. And so we've seen tonight that Jesus is above all people, that he's greater than John the Baptist, that he's greater than us, and that he must be made greater. Final verse, Matthew chapter 7. It talks about these two options that you guys have. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, but small is the gate, And narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. So what I want you guys to do now is just to take a minute. We're just going to take a moment and reflect. And maybe for you, you need to think about how you can make Jesus greater in your life. Is there a way that you're prioritising yourself and making yourself greater? Or maybe you need to actually make that choice to believe in Jesus for the first time that you can't do this life on, the, on your own. You need a saviour. And so just take a, take a moment for a minute or two, just sit there and reflect, maybe pray or sit quietly on your own and then I'm just going to wrap up in prayer. Oh God, we just come before you now. Come before you humbly and offering nothing to you. But we just praise you that you loved us so much that you sent your one and only son for us so that we might know you and have the gift of eternal life. I pray that we might be people who are known by making you greater, that we might live to see you increase in this world, that we might be your humble servants, willing to be faithful to you and then forgotten, Lord. I pray that you might humble us, draw us closer to you. And God, if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you in this personal way, who hasn't accepted your gift of life, I pray that you just might reveal yourself to them, that they might recognize who you are for the first time and put their trust in you, God. We lift um, our hearts and our minds and our souls up to you because you are far greater than anyone on this earth. And please help us to truly see that and be amazed. Amazed at your goodness, your love, your faithfulness, your kindness. And I just pray that we would stand back and recognise you for who you are. We pray all these things in your great and glorious and mighty name. Amen.